Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. It's the people that turn around and sort of go, thanks for connecting. Oh, by the way, would you like to develop an app for whatever? And we're really good at that. And you think, I shouldn't have bothered connecting with them. Oftentimes, Cialdini's principles are presented as like a laundry list or like a checklist. There's these six or seven things that you can do, as opposed to identifying first the motivation and the context. A principle that I generally will say is really good to start with is the principle of liking. Because if people come to know, like, and trust you, it becomes a lot easier to go forward. So I think everyone knows that I'm an influencer on LinkedIn. I'm fortunate enough to have 284,000 followers on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn has bestowed upon me the honor of being an influencer on that platform. And influencers are a really interesting word. So we have a guest on the program today, Brian Ahern, who is an expert on influencers, influence and persuasion. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here, Colin. Maybe, Brian, just as a bit of an intro, you could just explain a bit further about your background and how you got into all this stuff. Okay, sure. Well, I spent most of my career in the insurance industry, and I came across Robert Cialdini's material when somebody who worked with me gave me a video of him presenting at Stanford. And right away, I thought, holy cow, here's the psychology that underlies all the sales training that we do. I loved his stance on ethics, the ability to do this in a non-manipulative way, and I really appreciated the fact that it was all based on science. I could really get behind that. I began to use his video in some training, and this was in the early 2000s. Signed up for some of Stanford's marketing materials where he had done the presentation, and lo and behold, one day when one of their marketing flyers came across my desk, it said, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. And I just could not believe that they used that word manipulation. One, he was so clear in his talk about non-manipulative ways. But for the second reason, what copywriter would think that people want to learn how to manipulate others? So I sent an email to Stanford to basically say that. Never heard from Stanford, but sometime later my phone rang and it was Robert Cialdini's office calling to thank me for an email that I had sent to Stanford. And because of that email, they changed the marketing of all of his material. And that was the beginning of my association with him. And now I'm one of his 20 certified trainers around the world. Right. Excellent. It's one of those sliding doors moments, isn't it? Yeah. You never know when some moment in life is going to be pivotal. I wouldn't have thought sitting down to write that email would be pivotal, but it really touched a core part of me that I think I'm an ethical and moral person. I want to do right by other people. And I don't know, I think I was rewarded for that. Yeah, that's that's good. 
And one of the things that we like about, or that we talk a lot about on this podcast, Brian, as you're aware, is we absolutely love the science behind things and think it should be driven by that. But then it gets into some of the practical implications. So we're going to have a conversation around sort of influences and persuasion, etc. So can maybe we start off with some definitions or some high level thoughts from you as to what we actually mean when we're talking about influencing and persuasion? Absolutely. And I think it's great that we start with this, because if I were to put the word persuasion out and ask 10 people, I might get 10 different answers or variations of some of the themes. And most often what I hear when I ask somebody, what does it mean to persuade? They'll say to convince somebody or to change somebody's thinking. That's a good first step, but it's not enough because you want to ultimately change their behavior. If you say to your son or daughter, clean your room, you don't want them to look at you and go, That's a great idea, Dad. You want them to go in and clean their room. So I'm a subscriber to Aristotle's definition of persuasion, where he said it was the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. It's about changing their behavior, something that they probably will not do in the absence of your ask or your communication. So I would say that's the broad definition of what I work with people on. How do we communicate to get people to change their behavior? Maybe this is a naive question, but I'm going to answer it anyway, because I I like answering naive questions. (laughs) Is there much difference then between influencing and persuasion? They obviously sound a similar strain, if you like. They are very similar. And I put influence as an umbrella over top of persuasion, because there is also something known as persuasion. And that's what do you do to set up the moment, or I like to say, set the stage before you ever even ask. And that can actually make it much, much more likely for you to hear yes, depending on what you do beforehand. So both of those could really come under the umbrella of what we would call influence. And I presume the whole area of influencers, like my good self, although it was interesting, I wouldn't have called myself an influencer six years ago, but that's about influencing people in what they do and not necessarily how they behave, but I guess just influencing people at a very top level. I would say as an influencer, you may say or do things without any intent of influencing other people's behavior, and you might still do that. If they saw you wearing a red shirt, they might be like, wow, that's really cool. He looks great in that red shirt. Boom, they're wearing red shirts. So I think you're not even trying in that point to change behavior, but because of your status as an influencer, you are changing behaviors even when you're not attempting to. Most of the time, the people that I work with are very intentional about trying to maybe make a sale or a business coach changing behavior of the person they're coaching or a leader trying to change the results and the actions of individuals in an organization. So they have to be very strategic about what they're doing. And again, I think as an influencer, sometimes you can take certain actions and you turn your shoulder and go, holy cow, a bunch of people are doing that now. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. The reason we do the podcast rather than the video is because I'm not very nice to look at. So. <laughs> But you have a great sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. If I was wearing a red shirt, it'd be influencing people never to wear the color red ever again in their life if they saw me wearing one. Also influence, Colin. You're still having (laughs) impact. That's reverse psychology, right? So where do you start when you introduce people to the ideas of influence and persuasion? Is there some kind of foundational principle that you first build on or are are there myths that you need to dispel? Where's your entry point? 
Once we start talking about these different psychological concepts that Robert Cialdini popularized, and typically people talk about the six principles of influence, but he did introduce a seventh when he wrote the book Persuasion. So if you look at those seven principles, people will then say, well, when is the best time to use these? I mean, it can get a little bit confusing. So we say, looking at what Dr. Robert Cialdini's partner, Dr. Greg Neidert, calls the core motives model. Are you trying to build or strengthen a relationship? Well, there's a couple of principles that are good for that. Are you trying to get people to overcome some uncertainty? So maybe they know you and they like you, but they're just not sure what to do. There's a couple of principles that are most effective there. And finally, they may know you and like you. They're not unsure about what to do. They're just not doing it. That would be our kids, right? (laughs) They love you. They know clearly what you said, but they're not doing it. So there's a few principles that are best to motivate people to action. And so that's the framework that we typically talk about because just if you happen to be good using one principle, let's say liking people, you connect with them, they naturally like you, but there's some people who could care less about liking you. All they want is to get a product at a certain price or achieve a certain goal. So going in and trying to pull that lever is not going to work. And so you really need to be conscious of where am I in this core motives model and then which principles will be most effective to help me do what I need to do, which should also be in the best interest of that other party. I like that a lot because oftentimes Cialdini's principles are presented as like a laundry list or like a checklist. Here's these six or seven things that you can do, as opposed to identifying first the motivation in the context and realizing that for certain people in certain contexts, certain principles are going to be more effective than others. Yes. And I work primarily with salespeople. And I had somebody ask me recently, why didn't you say the principle of liking is really important in prospecting? Now, this person's also in a different country. And I told him here in America, for the most part, when we're prospecting, we're using tools that can get a message out in a mass way. It could be mailers, it could be door hangers, it could be emails. There are a number of things. And it's very hard to tap into liking in an impersonal communication like that. If you're making a cold call and somebody answers, absolutely, liking becomes really, really important. But that's not how most people are prospecting these days. So we have to be very thoughtful about what it is that we're trying to intend and then step back and say, well, which of these principles is going to be most effective to make that happen? And I will say that if you're prospecting for potential clients, they probably want to know you're dealing with other people just like them because that gives them confidence. They want to know that you're offering something that maybe they can't get exactly the same way anywhere else. That'd be a little bit of scarcity. And then, oh, by the way, if you come across as really having an expertise in that area, authority, that becomes powerful for somebody to say, I'm willing to give you 15 minutes in that first meeting. So Brian, can you maybe try to make this live a bit with some examples of maybe a client you've worked with or a typical scenario so people can get their brains around it a bit? Well, a typical scenario, I mean, maybe we should just talk about the different principles and typical scenarios that might be with those. That'd be good. A principle that I generally will say is really good to start with is the principle of liking. Because if people come to know, like, and trust you, it becomes a lot easier to go forward. If any of those are missing, if they don't know you, don't like you, don't trust you, you're probably not going anywhere. This principle of liking. Now, where people make a mistake, though, is trying to get the other person to like them. So it's not about me trying to get you to like me, Colin, and it's not about me trying to get you to like me, Ryan. It really should be about me coming to like you. 
And the more that you see that I genuinely like you, the more open you are to whatever it is that I may ask of you. Because deep down, we believe friends do right by friends. But the good news is the more I do come to know and like you guys, the more I do want your best. And so now we've got this virtuous cycle where I'm putting on the table what I really believe is best for you. You're receiving it that way. We won't always agree, but, but you will agree a lot more when you move into situations like that. So I would say the first practical example for your listeners would be stop trying to get people to like you and really focus on coming to like the people that you're interacting with, your coworkers, vendors, clients that you deal with. Begin to look for what you have in common, give them genuine compliments, and you'll be amazed at the difference it will make in how you view them, but then how they respond to that. So your advice to salespeople is learn to like the people that you're selling to genuinely. Yes. Don't come across like a used car salesman who will say or do anything to get that person to like you. Really start to come to like the people that you're interacting with. And those will be the people then who down the road will start sending more people your way. That's counterintuitive from the stereotype of salespeople. Do you ever run into resistance to that or confusion? Or are people pretty accepting of that when you introduce them to that idea? You can see the heads tilt and the eyes look up and they're thinking, I've never heard it put that way before. And all of a sudden, it makes total sense to them because they get that part that if that person who's asking me to do something, if I know they have my best interest at heart, why wouldn't I be open to what they have to say? Again, I won't always agree that it's the right course of action, but I am far more willing to listen to that person because I know that deep down they care about me. And that is really what I think removes manipulation from the process. Because manipulation is very one-sided. But if I'm looking out for your best interest because I've come to know you, Ryan, then of course I'm never going to manipulate you. And when you receive it that way, the whole relationship has changed. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. I guess that presupposes there's a relationship there at the beginning. So l- let me give you an example, because this is something that's driving me around the bend at the moment on LinkedIn, which is, I guess, because I'm fairly high profile on LinkedIn, I get emails from people. A, I get a lot of people asking me to connect with them. But B, I then get a load of emails. As soon as you connect with somebody, they basically come out and try to sell you something straight away. And I've been thinking about this recently because it's the people that turn around and sort of go, thanks for connecting. Oh, by the way, would you like to develop an app for whatever? And we're really good at that. And you think, I shouldn't have bothered connecting with them. But I guess the challenge is, is how do you make someone like you in that type of circumstance. And to answer some of my own question, Brian, what I've noticed is that there's a smaller group of people who will not even ask to have a chat with me because if I ended up having a chat with them, I'd end up having a chat with 50 million people a day, basically, and wouldn't get any work done, but who are offering me something. And I don't mean money. I don't mean... (laughs) If they're offering you money and you can't talk to them, you can send them my way. I'll take the money and talk to them. (laughs) Good point. Well made. They're basically going, hey, we thought this may be of use to you. And they're effectively trying to build up that relationship 
by having a, a number of interactions. And clearly, if it's hitting home with something's hitting home with me, then I'm more likely to engage. But I have to say, I don't engage very much. Maybe that's just because I'm a miserable git. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think you've got such a vast network, though. It would be totally legitimate to tell somebody, hey, uh, first of all, I don't sleep with my dates on the first date, so we're not doing any business here. And second of all, with a network of over 280,000 people, you can imagine I've got plenty of people I can turn to right now who I already know if I needed help in that area. But I appreciate your reaching out to me. Best of luck to you. I'm just now thinking about the liking part. How do you, and maybe let me sort of broaden the question, how do you get someone to like you if you've never met them? Well, if we connect on what we have in common, I typically, if somebody reaches out to me and the vast majority don't put a message in, I always then send a message back and I'd say, hey, Colin, thanks for reaching out to connect. How'd you find me? And then I'll have people come back and and I can have a little bit of banter in some of those relationships. Humor does help build that up. So somebody sent me a note and said, well, I was going to come up with something really funny, witty and different, but I decided to come up with this instead. How did I do? And I said, A for effort, B minus for execution. And he came back and said, really, only a B minus? And and we had this little banter going back and forth where it was humorous and, and he took it that humorous way. So I think right there, there was some engagement. Now, down the road, I might be a little bit more open to listening to this individual because he did actually respond and wasn't just focused on trying to get me to do something. So I think that's one way. If we choose to engage a little bit or if we look at their profile and if I see somebody was in the military and I say, hey, you know, I saw you're in the military. Thank you for your service. My father served in the Marines. I really respect the fact that people serve the country. Just things like that. That right there is making me feel better about that person, helping me to like them a little bit. Yeah, good. I'm conscious there were six principles and we're only talking about one. But it's a good one. We can always do another show, so I'm happy to come back on. No, this is really interesting. So maybe let's move on to the next one. Okay. Well, another principle that we talk about is the principle of reciprocity, which is also good for building a relationship. If I do something that genuinely helps you, Colin, or genuinely helps you, Ryan, will you feel good about that? And what I am not a fan of, though, so let me first say this, reciprocity is that feeling of obligation that we all have to want to do something for somebody after they've done something for us. People will misuse this by trying to only use it to get people to do things for them. And I'm not a fan of that phrase, good old give to get type thing. I'm a fan of you give and help because it's the right way to live life. Then you trust That when you need help, you can survey the people that you're connected to. And when you start to spot the people who have the right skills to help you, you reach out to them. And most of them will be very willing to help because you've done genuinely beneficial things for them to start. And the research on this suggests that people are fairly sensitive to insincere reciprocity attempts. And it does not work when it's not perceived as being insincere. So, yeah, if if you're faking your way through this, it's ultimately not going to be successful as opposed to genuine reciprocity. Absolutely. Because people will smell it coming a mile away and they'll reject whatever it is that you're offering them because they'll just be thinking strings attached. That shows how powerful that feeling of obligation is that they don't want to wrestle with that feeling. So it's easier to say no to that potentially free item or whatever it is that somebody's offering to do so they don't have to wrestle with the feeling of obligation down the road. 
But I think when you are establishing your relationship, particularly starting with liking, where you get to know and like a little bit, and your offers to help are genuine, then people start receiving them differently. Because if I offered to help either of you, you'd say, yeah, we know Brian, we like him. And this is a genuine offer here. You're not going to be feeling like you're being manipulated into something. Makes a lot of sense. What I'm hearing all through this is this authenticity and making sure that it's authentic and genuine. Absolutely. It's a mistake, I think, to think that we just need to get from people. Most people will think, no, it's about getting. Actually, it's about giving. Zig Ziglar put it best when he said, you can achieve everything you want in life if you will just help enough other people achieve what they want. Because he knew, as he would survey the thousands of people who would go to his seminars, if he helped even a small fraction of those attendees, there's a a whole army of people who want to then help Zig Ziglar. So when we give something away, it's not as if it's a bill that's paid and it never comes back. No, it will come back in spades. Not every person will reciprocate, but most will. And now you're multiplying your ability to get things accomplished because you've got this vast network. So what's the third principle, Brian? Another principle is the principle of authority that we all feel more comfortable when somebody who's viewed as an expert or extremely wise, when they give us information. That's why we turn to CPAs to do our accounting. It's why we, if we have a legal question, we call up an attorney. We just feel better when that person who we look at as an expert gives us advice. Generally, it saves us a lot of time. Now, we could self-diagnose online if we're not feeling good. We could look up answers to legal questions. But that takes a lot of effort. And oh, what if we make a mistake? And so we find it to be far more efficient to turn to the people who already have that expertise because it saves us time. Ultimately, it, it can save us a lot of money if we make a mistake when we're trying to do things on our own. Yeah. And I guess that when you think about an influencer in the widest sense, um, when they talk about sort of influencer marketing, they're typically talking about an expert in whatever field that they may be in. And once people learn that, the key is they need to know it. If I have a conversation with somebody and I share the exact same things that we're talking about today, they might find it interesting and they might think, yeah, that's, you know, maybe I should give that a try. But when they know that Robert Cialdini, who's the most cited living social psychologist in the world on this topic, when they realize that that person, there's only 20 of us personally trained and certified by him, all of a sudden they sit up straighter and they pay more attention. Nothing in terms of what I've shared has changed, but the fact that I have that authority based on my association with him and all of that training makes them listen a little bit more. So it's always the responsibility of the person who's trying to persuade to make sure that they're tapping into this as early as possible, because it does you no good if people learn you're an authority after you're done speaking. Like, for example, when I tell my kids to clean their room and they don't, and then I remind them that I have a PhD, then (laughs) they really finally... Then it dawns on them, oh, dad is so smart. They'd probably say, but dad, your PhD isn't in room cleaning. No, Does it really transfer? really not. And the authority figure that they would prefer is some Instagram tween influencer that they would respect. Yes. They're not so much responding probably to authority as it is to that. Well, it could be the social proof and also the liking. It is just natural for us to say yes to people who are most like us. And when there's a whole host of them, the social proof, then it becomes really powerful. Good point. Yes. And number four, Brian? Number four would be social proof. Social proof is our tendency to follow the crowd. 
that comes through evolution, we just feel more comfortable, the safety in numbers. And so as an influencer, if we can point to how lots of other people are doing something, or more importantly, how people who are most like the ones that we're trying to influence, that becomes a very powerful indicator that maybe they should be doing the same thing. Yeah, and we've done a podcast on social proofing in the past. So anybody wants to dive into that topic in a bit more depth, then that's one of the sources that you could go to. So number five? Would be consistency. Consistency describes the reality that we all feel this internal psychological pressure, but also an external social pressure to live up to our word. The mistake that people make here, though, is they're always telling others what to do, and that doesn't tap into the principle. It's when you ask and somebody says yes, that they're far more likely to do it. So Ryan, to your example of the kids and cleaning the room, telling them is never as effective as asking. So if you turn to them and, you, and you're looking them in the eye and, and you say, Billy or Jane, will you please clean your room before lunchtime? If they say yes, they're far more likely to do it because they don't want to feel bad about themselves and they don't want you to kind of give them a disapproving look if they haven't done it. Now, as they get older, they're going to have their excuses. They may say, oh, dad, I can't. I'm, I'm in a hurry. I, I got to go, go out. And you say, okay, what time are you going to be home? Six o'clock. Will you do it as soon as you get home before you do anything else? Yeah, yeah, I will. And then they almost always will. So that's another application of psychology that being ready when someone says no, if you step in with another request right away, they're very likely to say yes. And I saw this work brilliantly with my daughter, who is now 24, but when she was a teenager, to get her to do all kinds of things. Don't tell, ask, but be ready to hear no and know what those fallback positions are so I don't leave the moment without a commitment from her that she's going to do what I wanted at some point. This is great. Hold on one second. I'm going to go get my kids and we're going to bring them in here and they're going to talk to you for a second. I could just realize where I went wrong 20 years ago, bringing up my kids. Maybe I should be doing this with my grandchildren now. It's a function of how we're raised, right? We just, we fall into patterns and habits. Our, our parents raised us that way. Then we turn around and it's not until somebody points it out. And again, when I talk to audiences, you can see them go like, holy cow, this makes so much sense. They just need to break out of the pattern of how they've always interacted with their kids. And this works just as well over email too. Stop telling people what to do and start asking, but hold them accountable to answer the question. And then I think people will be pleasantly surprised at how many more people do what they want them to do. Sure. And the final one then, Brian, number six. Number six is the principle of scarcity. And we're all familiar with this one, right? Sale ends Sunday while supplies last. When we encounter the reality that something we want is rare or potentially going away, it just causes us to want it even more. And we need to look no further than what's happening in grocery stores right now in America, and I, I guess probably around the world, and how people are rushing out and buying all these items that they normally either wouldn't buy or they certainly wouldn't buy in the quantities that they are. Now, I understand the, the need for self-preservation, but also we are going to be much stronger if we work together as opposed to each other. And so by people sharing and acting more amicably between each other, stores can do a better job and everybody can be better off. But you're seeing the scarcity right now because of fear. And again, we've done a podcast on uh, scarcity in the past with one of Ryan's colleagues. Kelly Goldsmith. There, thank you. I was just about struggling for her name. And we also interestingly did one for Black Friday as well, which ties into some of the scarcity piece with the prices. And, and it's almost like these 
six principles are super important and some of the more important discoveries in psychology. Yeah. The good thing is, is they've been put together and certainly make a hell of a lot of sense. That's what really Robert Cialdini's, one of his biggest contributions to the field was to put this into a package where people could get their mind around it and go, oh, that makes so much sense. It's not all of this psychology that's out there and, and you're looking left and right and up and down. Things fall very neatly into these six principles. Not every single thing, but an awful lot of psychology falls into these principles and people can wrap their minds around it. And the more that we can structure it by talking about the relationship, the uncertainty, the motivation, the easier it is for them to tap back into when they need to ethically persuade people. If we were trying to pull this together and really good conversation about some of the theories behind things, what are some of the practical advice that Ryan and Brian, you would give people? So if people said, great, okay, so what do I go away and do? What would that be? My two biggest would be what we were just talking about, about consistency. Stop telling people what to do and start asking, but always make sure that you have a fallback position. I mean, if you need a report by Friday, don't ask for it by Friday. Ask for it by Monday. Because if they can't get it to you on Monday, they might be able to do it on Tuesday or Wednesday. If you say, well, I understand you're busy. Could you get it by Tuesday? Could you get it by Wednesday? So stop telling and start asking with fallbacks. And the other would be stop trying to get people to like you, but genuinely start trying to come to like other people. And you will be pleasantly surprised at how your relationships blossom. Good advice. Good advice. I particularly like the Zig Ziglar approach that you mentioned, Brian, which is If you're giving things, then eventually you're going to get, it's the cycle of life, basically. And that whole area of reciprocity and authority, I think, is key. But at the end of the day, and this is why I think these six are good, people aren't going to do any of those things unless they like you. And unless you're trying to talk to them on that human level, rather than just going, do you want to buy an app that I could provide to you? I also was struck by the need for sincerity. There's a great George Burns quote that says, the key to success in life is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you can fake anything. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much of this training that people can come at it with this very mercenary motive. The story about your initial contact with Robert Cialdini, how can we manipulate people? How can we trick them? What's the hidden key that we can turn inside somebody's brain so that they can... That's real short term and it, it can work in the short term. Gosh, it's ugly. I like the approach of let's learn these tools so that we can understand people better. And if we can realize that by becoming more empathetic and becoming more focused on the needs of others, we can better meet everybody's needs. That's just so nice and so much better. I'm reminded of of when I read How to Win Friends and Influence People when I was young. And a part of, of that story that he tells is very much about, no, no, don't fake an interest in people. Develop a genuine interest in other people and people will respond to that. So please don't approach these tools as ways of manipulating. That's not how they're designed. And ultimately, they don't work that well that way in the long term. Treat these as ways of better understanding other people and yourself. They should work better and you should have a better outcome. Totally agree. The final thing I would say is if you've been listening to this podcast as you've been driving down the road or somewhere where you can't write this down, please remember that you can go to our website beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. 
That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary, where we'll be summarizing the key takeaways from this. And we will be summarizing the key action so you can share that with the team. So, Brian, if people want to get hold of you, how is it best that they get hold of you? Two best ways would be LinkedIn first. So if they want to connect with me, please feel free to reach out. If you don't put a message in like, hey, I heard you on the podcast, expect that you will get something back from me to ask how you found me. I just like to understand why people are reaching out. I believe social media should be social. It's an opportunity for us to have a little banter, maybe get to know each other. The second thing would be my website, which is influencepeople.biz. If folks go out there, I've been blogging every week for more than a decade. I've got videos. I've been on lots of podcasts. There's just a lot of free resources for them to continue to learn more about how to ethically influence people. Great. And I believe you've also written a couple of books. Do you want to mention those? I actually have written one. I am working on the second book. I wrote a book that came out last August. It's called Influence People with the subtitle, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical. That's available in in paperback, e, and also Audible now. Wonderful. Good. Well, that's been really interesting, Brian. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been a really good conversation. It was my pleasure. I love talking about it, and it was great to interact with the two of you. Best of luck to you. Great. Okay. Thanks very much, and look forward to seeing everybody next week. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.